Hello, and welcome to JP Morgan TV. I'm Michael Hansen, and with me today is my colleague, Dan Silver. So Dan, obviously the focus today is, uh, at least in the markets, is on Chair Powell's comments at Jackson Hole. And we'll get to those in a minute or two. But I actually wanted to talk about the data to start uh, for a few minutes here. And uh, the week began, I, I would argue, on a bit of a soft note, but maybe improved as, as things went on, at least on the US side of things. Uh, from the global perspective, we did see the flash DM uh, PMIs for August come in at a, a disappointing level. We saw declines both in manufacturing and in services. Um, and in particular, in the case of the US, there was a notable uh, fall off in services. So the first question is kind of what message should we take from those readings? Sure. So I think you're definitely right that the services PMI for the U.S. was pretty disappointing. Uh, the July number already looked very weak, and the August number weakened even further. So what we're seeing there is uh, the weakest on record. We don't have a ton of history, but it is the weakest on record apart from that period right around the start of the pandemic. So a very weak number there. And I think the message we want to take from the surveys is uh, – one where we want to look across different measures. So if we just looked at the PMI, the services PMI in isolation, it would suggest that the economy is doing extremely poorly. Uh, the manufacturing numbers have weakened, but not nearly as much. But if we look at the ISM reports, uh, we don't have the August numbers yet, but the, the Julyism uh, actually has been improving on the services side. So I think when we kind of average across these measures, smooth across the different measures, I think we're getting a message where the economy is losing momentum, the economy is weakening, but we're not in a place that is as downbeat as what we what we would get uh, if we just looked at the services PMI in isolation. Yeah, I think that's a that's a useful message. And, and to be honest, we're seeing something similar uh, around the globe. So the PMIs also came out, of course, for the G four economies, and we saw, generally speaking, weakness uh, everywhere. Uh, and it was both in, in services and manufacturing. Um, but you know, I think the data flow has been on the um, sentiment side, you know, even weaker than what some of the activity data has shown. Uh, I think the U.S. is probably the poster child for that, but I think you can point to that even in, in some other countries as well. And as you mentioned, what's been notable is we've been expecting some weakness in manufacturing, right? We basically are at the point now where we had really strong uh, output growth in the first half of the year, uh, and that's even as demand had been softening. Uh, we're certainly seeing a rotation away from goods and towards services, Right. We had a big kind of tech led uh, boom in uh, goods for a year and a half. And now we're seeing people rotate, obviously, towards more services spending. But on that side, we unfortunately saw you know, some favorite of weakness, the U.S. actually being the weakest uh, on the services uh, side of things for the PMIs. So that gives us a little bit of concern, given that that's our main source of, of growth in the second half of the year from a global perspective. So speaking of growth, uh, we did get revised Q2 GDP this week for the U.S., and then we got a couple of indicators for uh, what we're tracking for the third quarter. So why don't we talk about each of those? So second quarter real GDP was revised up. It's still negative. So first print had been uh, negative 0.9%. Uh, the revised number is negative 0.6%. So it's uh, moving in a favorable direction, but uh, still Slowly. weak. <laughs> um, but I think uh, we did get some other favorable news in the report. Uh, particularly on the income side, a, a GDI, a gross domestic income, which is an alternative measure of overall economic activity, uh, that was up. Uh, and I think over the first half of the year, uh, we've seen real GDP decline both in Q1 and Q2, but real GDI has been up uh, around 1.5% or so on average over the first half of the year. So 
not a booming period by any means, but a period that is, you know, or data that is suggesting that maybe the GDP numbers are overstating the weakness. Uh, we also get an upside surprise on uh, corporate profits in the second quarter. Uh, we had an upward revision to consumer spending. So, you know, I think the term I, I've heard some people using, I know Mike, you've used this as resilience. I think we're seeing uh, weakness in many areas. You know, the surveys, the business surveys, the consumer surveys have been weak. GDP numbers have been weak, but some signs of resilience in kind of the more fundamental sense of what's going on in the economy. Uh, and again, I'm not trying to paint a picture of a booming economy by any means, but one that is maybe not as downbeat as uh, some indicators suggest. Yeah, I think that's really important because I do think that one of the things that particularly in the U.S. we've been focused on is the idea that uh, the environment for both households and businesses in terms of pretty robust balance sheets and relatively low debt levels, you know, those certainly help cushion some of the uh, shocks that we've seen hit the economy over the first half of this year, right? Uh, but then on top of that, I was, it seems like on net, we probably got better data for the third quarter this week in the U.S.? Yeah, a little bit better news, you know, I think uh, on two fronts. So one, on the claims numbers, uh, we did get a a little bit of upside surpri- or favorable surprise on the claims numbers with lower than expected reading, uh, which suggests you know continued strength in the labor market even if things have softened a bit uh, relative to where they were you know, a few months back. But also on the GDP space, as we're tracking the Q3 numbers, obviously very early in the game there, but we are tracking some upside risk to our one percent forecast. A uh, little bit of mix and shift or a mix in the shift uh, underlying the details there, where. Uh, consumer spending is looking a little softer. The trade numbers are looking stronger, uh, but overall, a little better in the headline. Again, you know, upside to one percent is not a boomy period, but it's, uh, it's a period that's not not adding up, at least uh, negative at this point, and, and maybe a little better than we had previously thought there. Yeah, that's fair. And on top of that, uh, we're also looking for a, a fairly solid payroll report next week. Correct. Yeah. So uh, as I mentioned, the claims numbers continuing to hold in uh, reasonably well, and think. Overall, the signs of the labor market uh, still show strength, and we're looking for 300,000 jobs uh, for the headline print next uh, next week, uh, which will be the August data. We're looking for another tick down in the unemployment rate to 3.4%, um, and another solid reading on earnings, uh, average hourly earnings up four tenths. So, yeah, I think that the the broad story here of continued strength in the labor market, continued tightness in the labor market, continued pressure on the wage front, you know, all of that is. Um, you know, expected to still be the case, but losing a little bit of momentum in terms of the the rate of job growth and and the pace of decline on the unemployment rate. So, the idea that labor market's holding in there, but it's uh, it's downshifting relative to what had been a very strong run. Yeah, but interestingly, while we're seeing, I would argue, something broadly similar and still tight labor markets, and and you know, outside of the surveys, perhaps still some decent data uh, coming out of Europe the forecast could really not be more different, right? We're looking for growth to actually accelerate in the fourth quarter for the U.S., and we're looking for now Europe to turn to a recession uh, beginning in the fourth quarter uh, with growth contracting 2% annualized both in, in Q4 and Q1. We made that forecast revision this week, and that's on the back of the really massive, uh, you know, unprecedented jump in natural gas prices there as a result of the uh, Russian uh, invasion in Europe impacting uh, energy markets. Um, Along with that, of course, there's a very significant upper revision to uh, inflation. Uh, and this is a problem not just in the euro area, but across Europe, where we're looking at you know double-digit, kind of low to mid-teens inflation rates by the end of the year uh, at an uh, annualized pace. Uh, so it's an environment that is really much more challenging for Europe than for the U.S. at this point. And as we mentioned, you know, a lot of the data in the U.S. is still holding on to this idea that while things will be slow, 
there's this resiliency that's precluding the the need to kind of roll over into uh, into a recession, right? Yeah. Uh, now, with that said, uh, Chair Powell kind of opened the door to the possibility that the Fed is going to step on the brakes pretty hard for a long period of time today. At least that was my reading. Uh, what was your main takeaway from what uh, Powell said at Jackson Hole today? Yeah, I think that's the the right message there. He definitely alluded to the idea that there could be pain from from Fed tightening, and that would be you know welcome in a sense if that's what it takes to bring inflation down. Um, and I think the you know the main messages are, are not too different than what he's been been saying recently, um, but perhaps just a refresher of his views and you know putting it in the current context. And that you know he thinks inflation is too high. He knows it's the Fed's job to bring inflation down. Um, and, you know, I think he thinks that the, you know, the battle's not over yet and they, they need to keep tightening. And he, um, you know, he looked back to the seventies the and kind of drew some comparisons or contrasting and comparisons there. Um, you know, and I think the three things to, um, take away or perhaps the most important takeaways, um, one, you know, he said it's the Fed's job to bring inflation down Two, inflation expectations are important. Um, and we've seen, you know, so far we haven't uh, had inflation expectations break higher. But, you know, I think the longer inflation stayed high, um, the more risk it was that inflation would or inflation expectations would, would move in a, you know, an unfavorable way higher. And then third, the, the lesson was that we don't want to, you know, concede or I guess claim victory too early and right. decide we need to reverse course. And I think what the, the Fed is signaling is that more tightening is ahead, which, again, is. You know, similar to what the message we've been getting recently, and that they're not going to reverse course, you know, at any point soon. And I think that's more or less consistent with our forecast. And you know, he didn't really get into specifics about September and you know exactly what they're planning on doing. And you know, there's still data to come between now and September. But you know, our forecast is that they hike 75 basis points in September, and then 25 basis points uh, in November and December, and then they go on hold. And I think that's you know, roughly consistent with the idea that he, he put forward and that the Fed is going to bring policy into restrictive territory um, and they're going to hold there and not, you know, not not move uh, lower, not ease um, for the foreseeable future. Yeah, certainly not not ease as quickly as the market seems to, to think, right? I think the message was first, as you said, we're not done, we're going to keep hiking and that's very consistent with our call. Uh, and then second, you know, once we've we've hiked into restrictive territory, we're going to stick around there for a while in order to make sure we get inflation back to target. And again, the market is obviously pricing uh, a bit of a different path there. So what's, what's interesting, too, about that is we have the Fed going 125 basis points by the end of this year. We also have the ECB and the Bank of England going 125 basis points by the end of the year. Uh, and they obviously are facing very different situations as both of those economies are expected to slip into recession in our forecast, but they're facing much greater inflationary pressure. It's really kind of you know putting the crunch on, on central banks to make sure that those don't become embedded in inflation expectations in the way Powell said the Fed was kind of committed to, to precluding from happening. So it's interesting that the the uh, movement in terms of rates is similar, but the motivation is, is somewhat different, right? And, and the likely implications are going to be somewhat different as well. Uh, as a quick side note on the, on the policy front, we also got news today or this week that China has opened up the spigots on the fiscal side a bit more. And so where we had been looking for about a two trillion uh, yuan fiscal gap that we were really concerned was going to be a significant drag on growth this this half, uh, particularly in the fourth quarter, we have gotten uh, sort of cumulative announcements of news of more easing on the fiscal front uh, from the Chinese that now make us uh, you know thinking we're only going to get maybe some 
slight downside risk to our current forecast as opposed to this much bigger hole that we were concerned about. So there's a lot of action amongst policymakers, not all in the same direction at the global front these days. Uh, in terms of the data flow next week, uh, in addition to the payroll report for the U.S., as we previously mentioned, which we think is going to be fairly strong, uh, and certainly strong enough to support the Fed going 75 basis points, uh, we also have the remainders of the manufacturing PMI reports due next Thursday. We'll get for the rest of the world. Uh, there we are expecting those reports to be a bit softer, um, particularly in Asia, where we've seen some signs in the trade and the production data that things are starting to downshift. And then finally, uh, another key release next week will be the flash August CPI report for the euro area. There we are looking for a slight tick lower from the 8.9% OYA we saw in July. But that's a, a sort of a brief pause before we see the likely impact of higher energy prices feeding through into much higher inflation as we go forward. So with that, thank you all for joining us. And we look forward to seeing you again next week here on JP Morgan TV.